Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Guerrillapreneur, the art of waging small business warfare podcast, teaching Davids how to defeat Goliaths. Now here's your host, Mark Anthony Peterson. Welcome back to the podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs, startups, and business mavericks. In this podcast, we teach entrepreneurs how to defeat the corporate giant. Just like in the story of David and Goliath, David defeated a much taller, and stronger Goliath, not by fighting the giant in hand-to-hand combat, but by using technology. Yes, that slingshot. The slingshot allowed the smaller David to attack from a distance that minimized the advantages that Goliath had over the smaller David. Guys, welcome to Gorilla Panur. And today we have an exciting show for you because we're talking to a, a true David, Someone that's going to tell you about drone technology is going to tell you how she's using drone technology to disrupt the market and to create new markets. And you're going to walk away from this learning a lot about what it takes to get traction in an industry that's dominated by giants. I'm talking about Ms. Bronwyn Morgan. But before we get to her, I want to also say hello to our co-host, Ms. Monica Hooks, the Executive Director of the Women Entrepreneurship Initiative for the City of Atlanta. As I mentioned in the last podcast, she's our co-host in this exciting series that we're calling Gorilla Activism, Women Gorillapreneurs. Ms. Hooks, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Mr. Peterson. I'm even better that I'm sitting here speaking with two of my favorite people. I'm so excited for the audience to hear Bronwyn speak today and share uh, all of her knowledge. I'm going to, I'm going to give them a few, a few cliff notes. She's the founder and CEO of Zio Air. Bronwyn's a certified drone pilot and also the founder of Airversity Drone Academy and Consulting. She developed strategic business models and disruptive strategies with Airversity. She's also worked with companies like Delta Airlines, Procter & Gamble, as well as the Coca-Cola company. 
And Brawlin says that entrepreneurially thinking to her means approaching life with a robust and open viewpoint to see how things look to you and recognize a way to solve problems and sharing that, sharing that knowledge with everyone around you. Uh, this kind of opens up why I'm so excited to sit here and see who you, you the two of you are, are two of my favorite people and dear colleagues and, and develop, developing friendships um, long time in short time and in between time. But I, I think both of you guys are really brilliant and, and, and really, you know, about things that, that other people need to know about, for instance, drone technology. So I think that more people of color, um, women of color need to be elevated uh, in spaces like these that are non, traditionally people don't see you there, but we've always been there. And, and now it's time to highlight that fact. So, Bronwyn, welcome to the podcast. Tell us, tell us, tell us about your journey. Thank you so much. It's so great to be with you both, Monica and Mark. I'm so glad to be on. And thank you for what you're doing in the community to elevate uh, voices that are often not heard. I love what this is about. And this is consistent with who I am in terms of focusing on the future innovation, um, the fourth industrial revolution, and the fifth one for that matter. And for me right now, this is all about an aerial revolution. As a, you know, as a drone pilot and as an entrepreneur in the drone space, as well as urban air mobility, you know, this is a perfect time in history to be a part of, of this. And, you know, since I was a child, I've always loved aviation and aerospace and you know, wanting to be a fighter pilot, a pilot uh, an astronaut, um, actually went a much different route and wound up in business working for some of the largest companies in the world in and out of Silicon Valley uh, for the last 20 years or so, innovation consultant working at the university level and uh, in, in entrepreneurship and innovation. So, you know, my there's been a lot of consistency in my focus on what's next and future-proofing and being ahead of the game and making sure that people are pulled along, uh, as well as being the founder of Black Women in STEAM. So continuing just to amplify information, knowledge, wisdom, and, and not necessarily just mine, but that of others, uh, just to encourage people on, on this journey. It's difficult. I don't care who you are. You know, being an entrepreneur is hard work. Um, I yeah. think it's often portrayed as being very sexy and it can look that way from the outside, but on the inside, it's very difficult, uh, especially yeah. when you start to layer in things like tech, just because there, you know, there's money to be made, money to be raised, people to influence and all at the same time. And of course, those of us who are a little bit further removed from the mainstream of what traditionally has been the standard founder uh, and bearer of new technology, I think sometimes those layers can make it more difficult. But, you know, you continue to move forward anyway, or at least I sure am trying with both Zio Air and Airversity. You're doing it. <laughs> I am trying. Uh, so I'm very committed to this space. You know, some days get long and COVID has made it even more challenging, uh, to say the very least. Um, but where we're going with the use of data, because we're data collectors. At the end of the day, we're a data company. We just get our data from the sky. Um, so Zio Air is really a data company, but we use drones. And so the use of geospatial data, photogrammetry uh, for both inspection and mapping for us is critical. Um, so at Zio, of course, we are an outsourced AI-based drone services and data collection and analytics company, and soon to be autonomous. And Airversity is uh, FAA exam prep as well as flight training. And that's where we do our consulting out of Airversity. So to help people become certified FAA drone pilots, how to fly better, uh, specifically for industry. Uh, we focus on corporate entities as well as public safety. But anyone can go to airversity.com and, and do our, take our online uh, school with uh, one of our partners. Uh, you'll see that there. And we've got more good stuff coming end of this year and beginning of 2021 that we're moving a lot of what would have been live classes online uh, due to COVID. Let's start and unpack Zio Air and let's start with the use case so the audience understands the great business model that you've built. So when you work with a customer, let's start from that point and work our 
way forward so people understand all the opportunities as well to partner with you and become these drone uh, pilots? Well, yeah, so there's two sides to the equation, Mark. Thanks for that. Um, the first one would be flying with us. So we look for experienced drone pilots who are certified and insured and have equipment. We're, you know, akin to an Uber, uh, but for the drone space, we'll be to be only. And the other way to work with us, of course, would be as a customer. People and companies who need drone who need drone data and data collection and the analytics that go behind it. We currently focus on industries such as telecom, <clears throat> energy, which would be wind and solar, uh, utilities, oil and gas, civil infrastructure, bridges, highways, railways, dams, climate observation, as well as catastrophe and disaster, which is usually some post-traumatic uh, event uh, in data collection and inspection of of everything from buildings to uh, roadways, bridges, beaches. It just really depends on the nature of the, the particular disaster. And then also government. And that can be a variety of different, you know, use cases under government. But they, you know, we, we tend to want to stay in, in that space. And um, Zio is also um, creating an AI-based solution so that as we collect data, that data is looked at through a lens of artificial intelligence, more specifically machine learning, so that we can better assess the types of damage that we're seeing and or trends that we're seeing in the data to help our customers make better decisions more quickly. So we can get up and down towers, we can assess and map things so much faster than what traditionally had been done, which is what the drone industry is known for right now. And our ability to ascertain that data and then either give it to the client raw and or analyze it very fast um, and give them real-time tools at a price point that's much different from what they ever would have had access to in the past is really where we're focused as CEO. So let's break down one of those use cases. When a client calls you up and has a particular need, let's just say oil and gas, what's the typical type problem that you're trying to solve? And then how do you deploy your assets in the field in order to, to meet that opportunity? Absolutely. Well, first we would send them to, um, to our portal at uh, zoair.com and where the customers either built a profile or we have them build a profile. Again, very much like Uber. They get to build their mission right in the platform. So we make it easy for them to build a mission. If you've never built a mission before, you may not even know what to ask you know, for. And just sending a drone to a location is not enough. We need a lot more detail in terms of what you want, what kind of data you want, what kind of sensors are we using? Is it just uh, still images? Is it 4K high definition video? Is it thermal? Is it um, LIDAR, hyperspectral, multispectral, spectral? What time of day do you need it? How big is the space? What exactly are you looking for? If it's oil and gas and we're looking for, let's say it's a pipeline and we're looking for any kind of leaks uh, along that pipeline off and they're not very visible to the eye. So it could be, you know, thermal depending on, you know, time of day, time of year that we'd be able to pick up that, that heat signature and notice either also very small fractures that could become very big ones and become a real big problem. Uh, storm damage. But, you know, that need for continuous inspection is so critical for an industry like that to ensure that you've had, you know, no, kind, you know, no issues, whether they were weather related, uh, naturally occurring, uh, animal tampering related, human tampering related, but the stresses and strains, of course, that go on infrastructure like that, that has a continuous operation uh, 24-7 with that kind of volume of, of, uh, of product moving through. So once they build the mission, we would then uh, dispatch our pilots based on capability, equipment, and to that location, and then we would fly that capture that data, and then bring that data back. And that data is either sent directly to the customer for their own analysis, or it could then go come through our, our, um, through our system for us to analyze. And, and folks are really just kind of looking to see where are the problems? Where do I have issues? And where do they need to be addressed in the short term? You know, it's things that are very obvious, like, like this needs to be fixed in the next 24 hours, uh, or this is a situation or a problem that is going to become a much bigger one in the next 30 days. And if you, you know, it's good to know now so that you can address it. So, you know, very predictive um, as well as you start to look at, the, you know, the, the types of, of 
damage that, that can occur and where. And after that, we, we move on and we're ready for the, you know, for the next project. Well, I was going to ask about Airversia. I, I wondered if that was an outgrowth of the data company or the other way around. Were you, you know, going to do business with the case study that you just talked about? And then, I mean, is there a sufficient uh, market for pilots? to man that equipment and sign up and do a profile or did you have to train them? I'm kind of curious about those two models and how they came to be because I think that they're really symbiotic and I've been having a lot of conversations about these kind of hybrid models where it's not all one or the other. And I'm wondering also if that was, first I want to know if what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. Well, <laughs> um, I started with another version of Airversity and I, killed it once I started to look at the market. And I was like, nah, I want to be in the drone services business, not so much in training. And um, ZO Air came to life and it has grown and morphed um, to what, you know, we're building right now. And I then came back to Airversity just because I recognized that there is a need for people to be well-trained and for us to connect to customers who want to do everything in-house because there are some companies that are doing all their drone work in-house and they may use outsourced services like ours when there's a need for overflow uh, or something that's very specific, a very specific need. And so Airversity does allow us to, you know, pull pilots from there, from there after they are certified and they get their own insurance equipment. However, it is, it, it's, a, it's a capability that allows people to go out and work anywhere. You know, we don't hold their feet to the fire to do any work specifically for, for ZEO. And because we are focused primarily on industry as well as public safety, most of the folks that we, you know, we're, we're taking through and, and look to take through are actually going to be working within the entities of their own. But it, it further you know, allows us to connect with folks in the industry because one of the most important things to me is safety and ensuring that people are doing things very uh, wisely because what, you know, what we're doing is dangerous work in that if you don't know what you're doing, you could become a very significant hazard in the sky. And that presents a, a very big problem that can lead to something as small as a fine or something you know, as large as a fatality. And you just don't want to be on the other side of that piece of equipment if that happens. Um, you really don't. So Zio officially kind of came first then and then Airversity second. So, you know, working on those two things, you know, symbiotically, but it certainly gives us a, a nice voice in the industry to be able to handle customers' needs, whether they're outsourced or whether they're uh, doing all their work in-house. It, I think you're perfectly positioned. Platforms are the hot item or the hot buzzword that's being thrown around in the gig space. And the fact that you have this platform and you're able to bring on drone operators that need different skills for different types of opportunities, you're becoming the central hub for all of that side of the market to associate themselves with in order to keep the, the gigs flowing in. So it really, over time, as you get bigger, you get that momentum where there's very few other places where people want to work. And that's why you see there's usually one or two big players in a space, a Uber and a Lyft, because the momentum of the platform creates the benefits for the, for the customers. Absolutely, Mark. I mean, that's the, the direction that we're going in. Um, you know, there are other players in this space um, that are doing, you know, similar work. And then we know there's some divergent uh, uniqueness to, to each of us. But, um, you know, it, it really is about uh, sustainability in the model. And, um, you know, there's so many ups and downs. This is one industry that I can say we are... It, we're disruptors, but we're being disrupted while we're in it. You know, I wake up every day and I look at the headlines of, um, you know, one publication or another. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, something else has changed. So it kind of goes back to that old book, Who Moved My Cheese? So I have to constantly stay on top of it because there's a, a, a evolution taking place while we are evolving, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've worked in a lot of different spaces of innovation. And I've just never seen anything that um, moves like this. Now, granted, we are highly regulated <clears throat> because we're governed by the FAA. Um, so there's there are things that we can go test that you know, we're about to go test some things right now that we can't just, nat you know, just easily and nat naturally as any entrepreneur would want to do, just launch it because you've got to prove certain things out that it's safe. 
Um, and then this can be done well. And there are a lot of moving pieces to it. So it's not necessarily just the drone. There's so many, you know, so many other aspects to, to what we're doing. It's communications, it's 5G, it's the sensors that we're using in their, their um, sensitivity and, and level of, of data that, that they capture. And is it the right sensor for the job? So there's a lot of moving pieces to this industry, but that is also what makes it, you know, very exciting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that use case you just laid out, there's a lot of value that you brought to that customer in terms of cost savings, because to walk that line in order to find potential leaks or leaks, if that were manpower or woman power, you're, you're, you're really exhausting a lot of, of labor that, would traditionally be on their books full time to do that. Is that is that the primary value proposition with a lot of the use cases that you that you have? Oh, absolutely. I mean, drones are saving you labor. They're saving time, uh, money, uh, also providing a greater level of safety. Because uh, you think about telecom towers, the ability to get up and down a tower, broadcast tower. I mean, that is, you know, that takes a minute and it's, it's dangerous work. And if I can get up and down a building or a tower in 30 minutes to an hour, uh, two hours, you know, depending on the size and how many and get that data back to you, that is a, that's a huge step change and doing it safer, more quickly. And, and that really is, you know, the, one of the big value propositions in the drone industry. Now, granted, you know, drones can do so much work. You know, we are in the inspection and mapping business. So we have a very specific problem that we're solving, but you've got delivery, you know, public safety use of drones, data collection for other uh, health, you know, the, the health of a, of a, of a population, uh, traffic management, agriculture, the list just goes on and on what you can do with drones. Right. You know, I, I, I wanted to ask about that with regard to the regulation, because I feel like... Um, that uh, is so important. You, you got to think about like whether the, the market can even adopt the technology. Like, you know, so the regulation, is this um, around the data? Um, maybe from like an ethical perspective or is the regulation around space? Like you can only fly your drone in this space. I imagine it's a little bit of both, but I'm wondering what the conversation is around and where the business opportunity is. Uh, you, you, for instance, you mentioned public health. You know, being able to fly a drone in a crowd of people and te- check temperatures um, and process that data really, really quickly. Is there an ethics question? You can do it quickly. I'm sure there's a mm-hmm. one who might want that. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of curious where the conversation is going, especially in a time like this, when the mm. pressure cooker is super, super pressured. And we, we essentially have to, 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 to make a move. We, we right. got to go one way or the other. Well, you know, the um, the certification that we get as Part 107 pilots is really about our abilities and understanding of how to work within the national airspace. So, um, you know, how to fly and be safe. And then there are very specific drone regulations compared to other aircraft, whether you're a helicopter, fixed wing, you know, civilian aircraft, uh, military aircraft, uh, news, you know, helicopters, so it's how do we how do we work within the national airspace? How to re- how to understand everything from weather to uh, the airspace that you're flying in, obstructions, um, and then the very specific rules around how to fly drones. The regulations don't necessarily cover anything around the the data and the ethics of the data, unless it's you start to really start to get over into uh, invading privacy. Now there are three things we can't do: you can't fly over people can't fly at night and can't fly beyond visual line of sight at this point. If you do need to do that, you have to request a waiver from the FAA and then they determine if if they will allow you to do that during that time period uh, based on whatever the problem is you've presented and what you're flying for and who you're flying for. So they, they make that call. So if you are flying over people, you better have a really good reason. And the FAA, you know, like I said, will have to approve that. Now, capturing that data and uh, using it is there's no rules against that unless, again, you're violating someone's privacy. Now, I can't fly past your window and collect data about you personally. That is a violation of, of, of privacy. So you would have the right to call the police and the police could take action against you know, me if they could catch me in doing that. 
Um, you did bring up the idea that people have been floating around of using drones for fever detection. And it's a little difficult to do because if you're flying over, let's say, a, a populated entertainment area in a city and you have a, a thermal sensor that would be sensitive enough to catch the fluctuation of a human body temperature, which is very difficult to do from that kind of altitude. If I do capture the fever, you know, the challenge is, then what am I going to do? Call the police on you? By the time they get there, you've moved somewhere else. You could have a fever for many different reasons. It may not necessarily be COVID. What are they going to do when they get there? Take you to jail, take you to the hospital. So there are a lot of ethics here in the U.S., civil liberties issues that something that specific is problematic. Now, if you're entering a hospital and someone's got the little, I call the little fever gun, then that's different. You're entering into a premises where health is being administered and you want to try to keep people healthy makes sense. And so I, I, you're on, you know, you're on my property. I have the right to do that. That's a little bit more difficult, but drones for traffic management, how people are moving and kind of watching more general movement is, is, has, has been used. You blend that with like satellite data. You're really able to stitch together a very powerful story, but it needs to be very specific because a drones don't, we can't fly that far. And our batteries only really allow us to fly about 25 minutes max. So I can't fly that far and I can only fly as far as I can see it. So that means I need bigger equipment. So there are a lot of, of things that are being tested concepts. So it's, it's not just the use case, it's the equipment that would support it. So we're going to see drones used in a lot of really interesting ways in the years to come. But we've got to make sure a, the public you know, understands why we're using it. And if it's if it's a law enforcement use of drones, it's a very separate, you know, use case versus a civilian operator like myself. But there's a there's a lot that, you know, we can do uh, like delivery, you know, is, is big. Um, but there's a lot of safety that has to go into this and testing before you figure that out. Let me uh, drill down a little bit more on that data aspect. How much of the current data that you collect is reusable? I work for an Equifax spin out and Part of what we did was uh, we did building inspections as well. So we'd count the number of air conditioning units on the top of a building and provide that to certain insurance companies that were insuring those buildings. Once we collected that, we could resell that data to many other services, uh, even other insurance companies that wanted to bid on that business. How much of the data that you currently collect is reusable like that, that becomes a very high margin asset and then secondly, players like Google Earth that are also now zooming in on the same sorts of assets that you're using drones are, do you see them as a competitor to both the actual use case as well as collection of the data? Well, to answer your first question, the data is highly sought after and, and, and usable, to, to use your term. Some customers and clients, their data is only their data, and it cannot be in any other way utilized by us. And, 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 and even if we, we are using it as a part of, of, of our machine learning platform, it's only more of the, the, the scraping of the data, so getting more of the trends than it mm -hmm. is that customer-specific, like, here's what happened with this one particular class customer. We wouldn't do that. That would violate our, our privacy, you know, commitment mm -hmm. to our customers. But there are tr there's trends in this data, and that will help train our, um, our AI in better understanding what it is seeing and where you start to see a pattern. And of course, that's how, you know, ML works. And, you know, that's a, a big part of what will help all of our customers be successful. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that that will be information that um, others who are seeking data, not again about any one particular company, but about an industry, mm -hmm. um, about a specific category of, of operations that will help inform them so they can make better decisions. Uh, Google Earth is awesome. I mean, what an amazing tool. And I've just kind of watched how they've evolved uh, myself. And, and I've, I've used Google. Actually, Google right now is currently a part of our, our, our platform. But, you know, with their use of satellites, it's a, it's a very different use of, of technology in that, you know, as they're flying 
over and capturing data at any point in time. You know, you can zoom in, you can build certain maps or what's called what are called KML files so that you can plan out a mission if you wanted to, a drone mission. But the problem is the altitude at which satellites operate and the level of detail that's available. We all know that satellites can zoom in to microscopic levels pretty much. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not too much. Mm. But those are used for... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply you know, military uh, surveillance organizations uh, and not used for use for civilian, uh, you know, companies like mine. So the data is a little bit too limited for, for me to consider as a, you know, as competition because I'm able to fly at a much lower altitude and then drill down even more specifically and tightly and get, you know, down to some very tiny, very tiny and small pixels to get customers the day they want. Often, even if there's tree cover, they can't see through that canopy. So we're able to come in at a much lower altitude and fly at a certain uh, altitude and an elevation to get exactly what the customer you know needs. So uh, no, I, I don't at this time see them. As, I think our industry doesn't see them as a competitor, but who knows what Google will get into in the future. Uh, but for right now, um, very different use of, of technology. Well, that's a good answer because for Google, there's space there for additional data that they need They got Mm -hmm. street view, they got the satellite Mm -hmm. view, now they need your drone view. So that means that someone- Hey, Google, if you're listening. There you go, right? (laughs) So let's transition and talk about that. You know, Google could invest, but before they get to you, how has it been raising funds, building a platform with this level of technology? Well, you know, we're just starting. You know, we're out there beating beating the drum like everybody else, you know, grants. Uh, We're about to do a a tour of angels, if you will, for angel investors, because we're very early stage. So it's too soon to be talking to VCs. You know, there are some that are now doing, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, early stage. stage. I'm seeing a lot more of that. And that's very encouraging. So that is, you know, that's the space that we're playing in. Uh, A lot of, you know, again, looking for grants, looking for um, the angel who is, you know, looking for the anywhere from the $25,000 to the $100,000 uh, investment. And then as, you know, go to the next level, then we'll start to look for, you know, more of that, you know, VC seed stage. And, and then as we start to make our way to a, to a Series A. But how has it been? Um, you know, during COVID, it's been very interesting because you've got a lot of COVID money that's floating out there. But there's so many people who rush to get it. 
And I'm talking, I'm not talking PPP, I'm talking really more about grants and, and uh, some of the money that was made available. Just the competition has been unbelievable. We just got notified before this call that we have been selected for a program. So that was encouraging to hear. But it is, it's, it's been, you know, while there's some money that's being allocated, it's still, it's still tight. And I think COVID has, um, has kind of slowed down certain things, but other things have picked up. Yeah, but you just have to make sure that you're you know, innovative enough and that you've got a solution that you're demonstrating not only that, that you're sustainable, uh, but that you're able to grow to the next level. So, you know, for black women specifically, you know, we, we receive less than one percent of all VC funding. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, right. just, you, you know, as a black woman, you say, why would I ever go into anything entrepreneur, especially from a tech perspective? Right. Why would I ever do this? And, but however, we are still one of the fastest growing groups of entrepreneurs in the country. So you just have to go for it. And it's so good now to see organizations of women coming together to invest in women. Um, You're seeing a lot of incubators and investment teams and funds specifically dedicated to black founders and women founders. So this is very encouraging. And those are, you know, places that, you know, I quite honestly will be knocking, you know, knocking on their doors. I've, you know, had some conversations with many already um, because one of the things I know that's important is developing a relationship even before you ask for the money because people want to know who you are uh, and kind of watch as you evolve. So yes, it's, it's, it's work. We've got one in front of us. Mm. Have you, um, have you looked at the SBIR grants or been in that space since the technology you've got? You know, it's not it's not quite commercial yet. I was wondering if if that's a, I guess a, an opportunity for grants for you and yes. a technology transfer as well. Yes, we're actively, you know, in that space right now. So SBIR, SCTR, and then you know, government contracts is another very big place to play. Well, you mentioned, you know, SBR, SCTR, and, and, there, and there are other opportunities with the government as well. But um, on the certification piece, you know, you've got to be big enough to be certified, but then not too big. Because after a certain point, your size, you know, those set-asides are not really for you anymore because you're so big now, you don't really need that. So, but you can't just be brand new with, you know, little to nothing yet because there's nothing really yet to certify. You need to be able to demonstrate that you've got enough girth to deliver in the market. So it's kind of a, kind of a fine line. It's a little bit of work. You know, there's the 8A, but then there's the state uh, DBEs. There's the women-owned small business. There's the disadvantage under that umbrella. Um, yeah. And you can get very bogged down in paperwork. Um, mm-hmm. you, get bogged yeah, you need down. a strategy. Mm-hmm. You need a strategy yeah. with that stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, but there are components. I mean, when you talk about funding and, and pools of capital, there are some components that if you do have a strategy and you say, I'm going to go after these SPTR grants, right? Because you know that at certain universities, they're, you know, they're really, really pushing the technology in some space. And you, you know the market where you can apply that piece. It makes sense. And that's not a little bit of work either. You no. know, I know people that applied for those grants. You know, a guy out of, runs an engineering school out of Baltimore. I think he said he applied something like 14, 15 times. He got on the 17th time after six years. But now he's on a roll because he's on like grant number 30. So, yeah. It's work. I mean, I spend a lot more time um, on this computer than I care to. Filling out, you know, this and that and filming this video and, you know, you're, you're, you're also then still trying to work and ramp up the business and sales and people and opportunities and, you know, doing things you know, like podcasts and doing your own stuff. You know, I, I have a podcast. I've launched Zeocast and it's a lot. And so and you've got to, you know, you have to have some balance in your life. And, you know, some days, my, my some weeks, my month, my life is not very balanced. It is, it's, you know, seven days of work. And I recognize that I've got to get, you know, more balance. And as a, I also teach meditation, so I should know better. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. But there's a lot to investigate. I think you take it in little chunks. Uh, you can't do it all at once. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point to make. And to Monica's point earlier about having a strategy. I know when I went through this process in building Pride Rock, you know, when you build mm-hmm. a fingerprint platform, that ships fingerprints off to the FBI. There's so many 
applications, so many use cases that -hmm. you can go after. And we had to narrow them down to one or two markets and just stay insanely focused because there were huge government opportunities like the TSA. Uh, There were huge opportunities at the state level to fingerprint teachers and lawyers and security guards. But when we examined how long the sales cycle was on those contracts, we realized that the best thing we could do was stay focused on banks because we could Mm -hmm. sell a bank in a month and deploy it in a month and be seeing revenue by the third month. And we figured, you know, if that model could work itself out for the top 50 banks, by the mm-hmm. time we finished selling to those guys, we'd have enough what we call baseload capital that we were mm-hmm. generating to start helping us think about taking on longer term sales opportunities. So you're right. It, you got to do all that. And then you got to do all this other stuff, branding mm-hmm. and podcasting and everything else to try to keep your name relevant to the markets right. that you eventually want to want to attack. So Absolutely. given all of that, wh- where do you see this this market evolving, given that you know the virus, the pandemic has opened up some big opportunities, you know, particularly some of the ones I think may emerge are like remote medicine, because so many people who live in, you know, urban communities no longer have access to clinics, hospitals. A lot of them have closed in the urban community even before the pandemic. So money slushing around in, in that area. I've heard you talk about remote flight, uh, autonomous flights, or urban air mobility. How is this market going to evolve out over the next five years? Well, um, I, I think that as regulation, you know, catches up to industry and where everybody wants to go, you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with autonomy um, because everything's moving in that direction. Vehicles to to drones, and you don't really need like us behind the controllers. That's that's not going to last very long, but there's a lot of safety you got to put in place. There's a lot of equipment changes. And so, you know, in five years, we'll still be climbing a bit because this is complex stuff. You know, there's 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 so many moving pieces to this, but I do see some automation in our industry. I think you're going to see delivery uh, coming on much stronger, especially in rural and sub- suburban rural areas. And you'll see a lot more testing in very specific locations in certain urban cities just to see how that model works because um, there are a lot of kinks. Hmm? Do you think that's going to get magnified if this pandemic becomes a part of the new normal? If we have oh, one absolutely. every year? Testing on the delivery. Delivery. Testing on the delivery. Delivery. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think that COVID has elevated the conversation and accelerated um, movement here because of that very thing. You know, one of the things that we, you know, I'm focused on in our next campaign is that we're touchless. Mm-hmm. You know, when I send a drone pilot out now, it, it's either the drone pilot and the visual observer mm-hmm. uh, or two, or maybe it may be a ground operator, but they don't have to be standing right next to each other. Right. And if everybody's got their own car, then we don't have to touch anybody. Right. And we get what we the customer need. It, it's all digital. And what a great way to think about the future. And then eventually, you know, one of the things that we're working on is, is, is an autonomous solution right now. And so it's really touchless. We don't even have anybody going out. It is all done, you know, behind a screen. And you're going to see that accelerate. Yes. And, and the pandemic, I think, amplified it. And I think there's been more money pumped in this direction, as well as the testing and the visions around what this is going to look like. <clears throat> the less we have to you know, connect with the aging population, if you're elderly, having your food delivered you know, by a drone, your medication. I mean, all of this stuff, rural hospitals, you know, there's just the use cases are endless. And those tests are actually happening right now. So you're absolutely right. This is this has brought about a big change, which means a lot of different new jobs. We're already planning on what those jobs will look like, at least for our company. And, you know, we will test different models as we move forward. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I won't say any more than that. But, yeah, we will test different models. Drill down on some of those jobs that you're thinking you're going to create. I mean, you know, it's a lot of it's the, the standard tech stuff. You know, we need coders. We need software engineers. We need um, data analysts, data scientists. I need folks who are trained in drone operations. The, you know, data engineering, the, the list is pretty long. But that's kind of the stuff that, you know, you know, we've got some roles that we are we're already in conversation with a partner that wants to outsource 
something that isn't, it doesn't even exist yet. And we're already talking and putting, we're putting together, you know, some contracts for how they will do our service. And we have very specific titles for those people um, that go out and service uh, and the people that are, you know, work with the, with all of our autonomous solutions. And so you will need to understand, um, you know, drone ops, you know, really love operational work. Um, but you'll have responsibility, so you'll learn, you know, basic engineering and maintenance. But these skills are are going to be hugely needed and required. And some of this does not necessarily need a four year degree. I'm not in any way saying don't. That was go my next question. I was like, no. do you need to get like a computer science degree and then get your drone certification? Or some of this work gate? does. Is this like a trade? I'm a big fan of trades. You know, yeah. um, and certainly trades, even I, well, I, I just don't think everything needs to be a four year degree. Well, some of this work, you know, data scientists, data analytics, uh, software engineers. I mean, these are all people that are, are degreed and have experience. And the more experience and, and degrees and work that you have and understand, the more bucks, you know, big bucks you get paid. But if you're coming in as a um, early stage dev and you have a, um, a certification from a coding school or um, <clears throat> community college, you know, that gets you in the door and then you learn. Uh, and then if you decide you want to go back and get more, that's great. But, you know, your boss is probably, and boss's boss is probably going to be somebody who is a PhD, perhaps, who is looking at the entire strategy and framework for how this whole process mm-hmm. comes together and then re- can represent that at an officer level in the company. But that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, start and work, you know, work your way into it and, and gain more. Some of these other more operational roles, nope, it will not require a four-year degree. And I don't even know what the pay bands are going to be yet, but it'll be definitely more than minimum wage. Um, right. You're going to have significant <laughs> responsibility. So, just like anything else, you know, the, the more you know, the more skills you gain, the more you're able to manage and the more revenue that you generate uh, and or money that you save, you get compensated in that way. But, you know, some of this work will be more, you know, on the job. Uh, some of it will require continued advanced degrees, but to get in the door, um, no. And, you know, wherever people feel comfortable, like, hey, this is good for me, I'm good here, then, you know, that's fine. But just, you know, ensuring that your skills stay relevant is really what's more important. A lot of people want to play it cheaply, and I think you kind of get what you pay for. And eventually, for some of these roles, we'll train you. Most of the people that we'll have, you know, in some of these roles are either going to be, they, they will be drone trained or more operationally engineered trained, and then we're going to probably blend that together. Right. And I could certainly see as universities continue to evolve, them looking to you to create that track within their institutions. Uh, many, many, even some of the schools that I'm affiliated with have started carving out these tracks that are almost like your international baccalaureate where they're given three, four weeks to learn this capability, three, four right. weeks to learn this certification. And that's what's getting people in the door at a lot of these, uh, these startups. And when mm-hmm. I look at what you're doing, there's drone design, drone maintenance, drone operation. Mm-hmm. There's so many areas for young uh, people to get involved in and to even be entrepreneurial like yourself uh, in, in this space. So this is really, really exciting stuff. One, one last question. Do you ever see drones being a part of the security solution in our communities on a full scale basis? Oh, absolutely. It's just a matter Wait, of time. What, what does a security solution mean? I can take that a whole lot of ways. I know. That's why people, I think, are nervous <laughs> about it. Because yeah. part of it is, it you know, it is Big Brother-ish if you have a yeah. drone that is patrolling a neighborhood the way a cop car would normally do it on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, back but, to that data ethics question. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. start to look at what cities are facing in terms of shortage of cash, manpower. My hometown of Selma uh, traditionally hires 60 police officers to cover the city. We have less than 20. Uh, part of it is they can't keep officers because mm. they don't pay them enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part is they can't afford to get more than more than 30. So mm. how do you cover the rest of the city and provide mm-hmm. the security that the citizens need? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer, but I do think drones could play a role in it. 
It yes. might work. Drones, at least drones, the data would be transparent. I mean, at least if it was if it was led by a black woman, the data doesn't lie, right? <laughs> well, you guys, you know, you've nailed it on the head, and it, you're kind of peeking under the tent for another meeting I have on the on the university <laughs> side uh, next week. But absolutely, they will. Um, drones are currently being used by law enforcement, very mm-hmm. you know, all over the country, uh, from an autonomous perspective as well as uh, officers, you know, with um, with drones in their vehicles. Um, the, you know, because we're still early stage as an industry not just, you know, as a company, but as an industry, um, the use cases are, are, are effective, but not, not broadly uh, applied yet. But you are going to eventually see drones as, um, as law enforcement. So they're able to fly to a location, um, ascertain what's going on, and then communicate that information back to command and control, and then be able to send out, you know, officers... <clears throat> and dispatch them very specifically, but they've captured all the data real time. So if somebody's running, the drones got them. They can see it. They you know they, they see what's happening for the most part. Now, if somebody's in a park and unfortunately someone got stabbed, you know, that doesn't trigger a drone. Uh, but if you call 911 or someone calls, the drone's gonna get there as quickly as possible and try to ascertain, just through ascertainers and collecting data and command and control can see it. Um, so it will it will be a norm. Now people are a little nervous, especially in today's environment, where things like defund the police and um, you know there's a lot of unrest, and the police are you know a big part of that conversation. So this has to be done gingerly because if there's a community that doesn't trust law enforcement, drones overhead um, become a real big issue around trust. And so um, I, I think um, law enforcement has to help their communities understand how they're using them, let them touch them, feel them under, you know, work with them um, so that people aren't necessarily um, afraid of them and fearful of their, their privacy, but um, they are being used and they will be used more. And I, I think as it relates to the positive side of it, it will help um, in keeping you safer because you've got some, you know, eyes watching what's going on. Um, and then that will be followed up with robotics. So, you know, the officer that comes out may not necessarily be, uh, you know, just a human. It could be a human and a robot. Um, and it depends, it depends on the nature of the, mm-hmm. uh, of the situation. Uh, it might just be a robot only. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really interesting. I had um, actually one of the entrepreneurs uh, in my cohort, you may know Tanya Hicks, she's doing some work in Asia. And she was saying that, um, you know, from the moment you get off the plane, she's doing construction work over there. And she actually incorporates a lot of drone technology into this, you know, site, site development. But um, that you are monitored from step one all the way through the country. They know where she said I could leave my purse. But the point really was she had no problem being surveilled. She was like, I don't have anything to hide. I need you to know where I am. I need everyone to know where I am and that I'm getting where I need to go safely and I'm going to say all of that. So I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know. I think people might be more open to it than we think, which is weird. Well, I think we've already, we've already given it up. We've already mm-hmm. given up a lot of our privacy already. Right. I mean, that, that phone, that phone has given away at least 70% of your privacy already. Everybody knows where you are. Well, not, I mean, I don't know where you are, but, um, but somebody does. Yeah, it's right. very easy exactly where you are. You're, exactly. The IP on your computer. Um, I know where you've been. Not only where you are, but I know where you've been. I know where you go frequently. I know who you talk to. I know who you communicate with on social media. And de- depending on the uh, the organization that's using it, I mean, I've I've had that experience before. And and, and um, having a friend who was in one of the clandestine agencies, not here in the U.S. And he, he tracked me from one country to the next. He saw everything. He saw when I got to the airport, he couldn't see me in the plane. Saw me when I landed, he, he said, I just want to make sure, and I kind of freaked me out. And, um, but I felt, you know, it was like, oh, great. This you know, person's looking out for me. And, um, but you know, it, it, it can, it's, it, it, now right. trust me, like every other technology, it will be used for good and it mm-hmm. will be, for evil. And then and there, there will be is. some some gaps. There's a gentleman that just got his whole life back together, Julian Williams in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a mistaken identity. His mm. face was captured, or they had a had him in a database. Uh, mm. And the uh, Detroit police used facial recognition and an AI mm. algorithm to match his face against that of a shoplifter. 
they showed up at his house, picked him up and kept him for 30 hours, even though there were at least 14 people who could prove that he was at work during the time the shoplifting took place. So, you know, there are some some areas we got to got to work on. And just like you said, we have to have the safeguards so that people uh, know that issues like this can be escalated and resolved in less than 30 hours when you know that you're you're innocent and the AI algorithm has made a mistake. Well, yeah. And Mark, that's a great point. So beyond, you know, hacking, it is the um, mistaken identity and mistaken or, or, or not even mistaken, but you know, mistaken identity, identity for sure. But also, you know, the bias in AI, mm-hmm. because whoever's programming it is bringing forth, you know, their own beliefs and, and, and systemic ideas about life. And so, uh, and then even how things are tested. I don't know about you, but so many times I've been, you know, in, situ- in situations where I've used the um, <clears throat> the sensors at the at the faucets and I've got my hands going in and out and nothing's happening. All but they, of that. It was never really tested on brown skin. So it's not picking up that difference. That's right. Now right. I have to really turn my hands over to the lighter side and, and sometimes mm-hmm. it would get it, but finally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the concern for, again, for black and brown people is, you know, the, the bias in it, especially when you start talking about software uh, and, and machine learning for, yeah, yeah and, and, and any of the uh, security agencies and surveillance, because that can be a problem. And that's time. why we have to be in the conversation yeah. and support entrepreneurs like you who are building and deploying technology like this. We have to be feeding our data in so that we can smooth out those biases and get the correct results. All of that to Mm -hmm. me is very important and why this this social movement that Monica has spearheaded is so Mm -hmm. important to make sure that we put our dollars behind entrepreneurs that we believe are not only going to make money, but affect that social outcome so that we get a fair shake when technology like that's being deployed. So we are very, very excited to have you on the podcast. So to that end, tell us how we can support you. How can we find you? How can we learn more about your, both your companies and, and figure out ways to motivate more people to get into this space? Absolutely. Well, you can find Zio Air and Airversity and zioair.com, X-E-O-A-I-R.com, Airversity, A-I-R-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me, Bronwyn Morgan, on LinkedIn, as well as both companies. And, you know, we're looking for investors. Uh, We are looking for customers. Um, We are vetting pilots. So in all of those areas, I actually have a third company that's that's bubbling up in the background in urban air mobility. We'll be talking about that more probably uh, early 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for Zio Air, you know, this is the focus so that we can, we can grow. We want to scale. We, we, the work that we have done thus far, we've gotten, gotten glowing um, feedback um, that, you know, we're on it. Our pilots are awesome. Um, they're, you know, around the country, they're very skilled and, uh, you know, I don't play when it comes to safety, you know, my many, many years in corporate and responsibility to deliver for, uh, you know, our customers and, and be their best business ally is first and foremost and providing a situation that's safe and, and providing excellence is important. So, yeah, I look forward to engaging with you. Find me. I'm, I'm pretty responsive. So I look forward to it. Thank you for this opportunity. Ms. Hooks, any closing words for our guest or audience? Thank you, Bronwyn. You're lovely. You're brilliant. You're visionary. And I'm so happy to have this chat with you and Mark. Well, thank you so much, so much, Monica. I appreciate your vision. Gorillapreneurs, we're going to have all those links in the show notes. Make sure you go and check out Xeno Air, Airversity. If you have a drone, want a drone, want to be inspired to go into space, this is where you need to play and understand. Because Ronald Morgan has done something that very few entrepreneurs have had the passion, the courage, and the stamina to do. And that's build a company with AI-based technology in an area that's growing like a weed. So every bit of support she can get she deserves, and we're going to give her that. Till next time, guys, peace. Thank you for listening to The Gorillapreneur, the art of waging small business warfare podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
You may also enjoy the book, Guerrillapreneur, Small Business Strategy for Davids Wanting to Defeat Goliaths. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Follow Mark Peterson on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Guerrillapreneur. Now I want to close with a quote from the great Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu. Victorious warriors went first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first, then seek to win. Keep fighting, guerrillapreneurs! As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.